So, uh, hello, sports fans. I'm Charlie. He's Jake. This is Charlie and Jake's Hot Takes. We're happy to uh, welcome our first guest to the show, Nick Peloso. Nick runs the uh, Jersey X Swap uh, Instagram account where he has over 44,000 followers. He does a wonderful job doing a lot of great jersey swaps. I've been following for a while. Along with that, he does a lot of uh, mock drafts and stuff, and that's why he's on today. But before we get into us our uh, NFL draft stuff, Nick, can you tell us a little bit about the account and how you've started it and how you've grown it? Well, I've had it for about five years. Uh, I was watching um, – what's that? What were we watching? Shark Tank. I was watching Shark Tank, and I was actually – I was like – I, I was watching it and seeing everybody have their, their own ideas and everything, and I really wanted to do something like that. So uh, I started a sports page. Um, there's an account called Beyond the Buzzer a few years ago. They mm, I think I remember that. But yeah. um, they were like, I wanted to like post something, have my own name on it, you know, something. It would be pretty, other would be pretty cool. So I made it for fun at first. I had a few accounts before then. They didn't really get big. They were just for fun. And um, this one kind of just blew up, kept gaining followers. So I just kept going with it. Yeah, it's really a great account. I mean, the work you do there, it, the jersey swaps are amazing. They're awesome. I try. Thank you. Really good stuff. So uh, you also really enjoy draft stuff a lot. I always see posting mock drafts, and uh, that's what we're starting off today's show by talking about. Obviously, this year, the wide receiver class is deep, almost deep as I, as I can remember. But Definitely really right the best ever. Throughout the combine and the, uh, just the pre-draft workouts, it seemed that, uh, well, that happened before the uh, shutdown and lockdown. The um, top three have seemed to be uh, the two guys from Alabama, Jerry Judy and uh, Henry Ruggs. And some have circled in, in between those two, uh, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. So uh, what do you guys think about the three? Some of you guys can give me some of your observations. Who do you like? What do you like? Well, uh, what do you, Jake? So I really like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, the two Alabama guys. I think the SEC is famous for producing great wide receivers, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones. The list really just goes on, and I think these guys are going to be two products from it. And I think Jerry Judy, if you watch him, you got to love him. He really can seem to do it all. But I think a little, little less known guy would be Henry Ruggs, who I really like. So I think the biggest thing when you're talking about wide receivers in the draft is their pro comparison, right? Who do they connect to? Yeah, and definitely. Ruggs connects people say very, very similar to Tyree Kill. And when I watch him, I think that comparison is very accurate. So I think that you're getting Henry Ruggs, you could be getting Tyree Kill on your team. It seems like that's what you're going to be getting. Speedster, great hands, and he doesn't have character issues like Kill seemed to have. So I really like Henry Ruggs out of those three guys. So a lot of people haven't ranked third. I really like him the best possible. All right, what about you, Nick? Well, I, my number one's Jerry Judy. He's just the best route runner. I think uh, we saw with Nikhil Harry, he, he struggled his first year uh, with the Patriots. He was the first wide receiver pick, but he struggled because he couldn't get open. And Jerry Judy does, is the opposite. He gets open. He's open every play. Um, you know, has good hands, good speed. He's not, he's not known for it like Henry Ruggs. But um, I think the most important thing is getting open. And staying healthy, and I think that's what uh, that's what Jerry Judy does. Yeah, I mean, when you watch Judy play, the way he can just he with co with college DBs, he toyed with them. There really weren't plays where he was blanketed. You couldn't you they put doubles on him. It really didn't matter. I mean, he's he's still fast. Like that's not the biggest part of his game. He still runs a four four five. Um, he he's really what I like that he said during the uh, during the combine. I think it was. He said he cared more about finding the right system than being the first receiver drafted. And, I mean, I don't love to go yeah. too deep into the character of, uh, of players because I feel that's just something that might not be the biggest deal all the time. But in this case where he's a guy who he's not really caring about the personal achievement of being the first receiver drafted, where he more cares about the place where he'll be in the best situation and he'll be able to produce instantly, I think that's a very uh, honorable thing. And I think that is something that will attract teams. Yeah, for sure. He can he can come in in any offense and just start right away. I think he'll be a top ten receiver from day one, doesn't matter who drafts him. Yeah. One thing I really like about Jerry Judy, which is good for the NFL to college to NFL transformation, is he was changing quarterbacks. He had to change quarterbacks midseason from Tua to Mac Jones. 
And I thought he really did keep up the same success. He had a great bowl game, played great against Auburn. So he could show that multiple quarterbacks. It wasn't just him and Tua were a duo. He could really work with anyone else against elite-level corners. Like, you had that great game against Michigan, against good corners they have there with Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, and then not to not to uh, – we don't want to avoid talking about CeeDee Lamb because this is another guy, even if you have him ranked third out of these three guys, he's, he's an athletic monster. He has yeah. a – I don't know if you guys remember a Martavis Bryant on the Steelers. I think oh, he's – he, he, they called him the freak, and there was a reason why. He could really do a lot of things on the football field. He yeah. I mean, off the field stuff ended up hurting him, but he has that type of build, CeeDee Lamb. He's going to – I think he had a – he led – I believe he led the FBS in um, yards after contact. He's a strong guy. He'll be a dynamic kick returner, I think. He's going to add to a lot of teams. And he's got that deep threat, which – where Judy and Ruggs, I think, are more guys who you're going to see in shorter routes and uh, a lot of a lot of slants and stuff. I think you can give C.D. Lamb, tell him to go 30 yards out, play a little backyard ball, and that's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah. What I loved about C.D. Lamb was in the Peach Bowl, although his team got smacked around by LSU, he still was the one bright spot for Oklahoma against that phenomenal LSU secondary, which was filled with NFL guys. C.D. Lamb still was able to get his, which shows that he'll be able to take his talent to the next level. And people have loved to compare him to DeAndre Hopkins, which is another – I don't think it's as close as Ruggs and Hill, but people see a lot of DeAndre Hopkins. So if he could be anything close to that, then he's definitely going to be a success in the league. I yeah, mean, I would have – I would have – sorry. <laughs> I would have loved to it. see him uh, go to the Cardinals. Uh, obviously, they traded for Hopkins, so that's not happening. But that would have been a great fit there. Uh, playing with Kyler Murray again, that would have been – Awesome. But I don't think he falls too far. I think the Raiders at 12 is probably his floor, and that would be a perfect fit. He's a Raiders guy. Receiver, you know. He fits yeah. that Raiders big physical big physical athlete. They seem to love those guys. And I yeah. think he'd really fit well in that system. He would definitely help Derek Carr, uh, who is in a real big prove-it year. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, for C.D. Lamb, he averaged 21.4 yards per catch as the primary tar- target. We know his physical, his physical dominance. And I really think he has an opportunity to be a really, really, really good receiver at the next level. Yeah, I agree. And, and if we're talking, to... we're talking wide receivers and where they're going to go, I think a really interesting spot for a team that's going to pick a wide receiver is San Francisco at 13. They got Debo Samuel. They got George Hill. I think a third weapon there for Jimmy Garoppolo could be huge. So I think that's really interesting to think about them grabbing one of those three guys. I think Judy could be great there. Ruggs, I think really all of them would be great fits there, guys. You can just take the top off the offense and really do it all, defense and do it all. Yeah, yeah and I think – Go ahead, sorry. I'm always interrupting, my fault. I think, I think, I think the 49ers, like, they're in a great spot, kind of like the Jets a few years ago. Remember, they traded from six to three. They didn't know which quarterback they were getting because it was, it was like a month before the draft when they made that trade. The 49ers traded Forrest Buckner, got the 13th pick. They have a pretty good idea that they're getting a receiver at 13. They don't know who it is, but it doesn't really matter. Any of the top three. Yeah, yeah. Henry Ruggs, he was just I, – I love that fit. I really hope Henry Ruggs is the yeah. third receiver off the board to the 49ers just because That's my uh, Kyle Shanahan is such, is such a creative play caller, and I think if there's a coach that can really get the most out of Henry Ruggs, I think it would be him. We're in a four-two-seven forty. He he. The way that a guy with that speed affects an offense is one: the safeties on defense they have to be more passive in their defense. They can't be as aggressive, which helps other parts of the offense. And I mean, you can question if uh, Henry Ruggs has the has the size or has the um, hands to play at the next level, but you can't question the fact that he's fast and speed doesn't go away. Well, I think you, you get him the ball, he will make an impact. I think Tyreek Hill being as good as he was, getting a Super Bowl ring and really coming one of the top five receivers in the NFL is huge for a guy like Henry Ruggs. Just like we talked about last week, how for Tua, how guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees have helped the shorter quarterback. Guys like Tyreek Hill have really helped the speedster and really upped a guy like Henry Ruggs' value. Yeah, for sure. So if you guys are at the top of the board, you have the you have the first you have the pick that uh you have the eleventh pick. Let's say you're the Jets and you decide to go with the receiver, which obviously they're not guaranteed to do. Who's your guy? All right, uh, that's tough. I I'm gonna go with Jerry Judy just because I think they're all pretty pro ready. I think they'll all come in and be top top you know 15, 20 receivers right away. But Jerry Judy just the I think he'll click well, like you said with Mac Jones right away. 
whichever quarterback he's given, he'll be that target right away. The security blanket runs great routes, uh, doesn't drop a lot of balls, comes from an offense that, like you guys said, has produced a lot of good receivers. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with Jerry Judy here. Yeah, I agree. Jerry Judy, I think, is the most complete guy. Can do it all. Can come in and is going to be able to guy who could come and make a great impact no matter the system. So if I'm picking the Jets at eleven, he's the first guy I'm taking. Jerry Judy for sure. Yeah, I think that's going to be a clean sweep because I just I, I like all three of these guys and I like guys lower like Justin Jeffersons and T Higgins, but this Jerry Judy, I think he's going to be the best guy. I think he would be an Antonio Brown like receiver. He could have that impact. I think yeah, he I'll, could. I like that. I agree. So, so um, we talked about the uh, quarterbacks. I mean, we talked about the receivers. Now we're going to go a little bit into the uh, quarterback, but not your uh, Joe Burrows and Tua's. We're going a little bit uh, – we're going a little second-tier action. We're going to be talking um, between the three guys who have really been in the same cluster throughout the draft process. That second tier. That second tier, exactly. It would be so Jacob Easton, Jake Fromm, and Jalen Hurts. Obviously, all had uh, interesting and uh, pretty ter- – Besides Fromm, had really uh, multiple stops in their careers, had a bunch of situations where they excelled and struggled in some cases. So a very interesting crop of quarterbacks. So, uh, Jake, who do you like out of those three? And uh, tell me why. Um, I really like all three of them for different reasons. But my favorite out of the three has got to be Jake Fromm. I think I love how he's young. He seems like the most – he's a pro quarterback. He seems like he's ready to come into a system, and I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to throw for 50, 40 touchdown passes. But I think he's a guy who, given into the right system, like a Pittsburgh or New England, can win you football games like he did at Georgia. He's not going to turn the ball over a lot. He's really good at hitting his check downs. He's an efficient guy, and I really like him a lot. What about you, Nick? I mean, so I was I was thinking I was leaning Jacob Eason, but then I mean I remember Jake from beat him out a few years yeah. ago. I'm gonna go with Jalen Hurts. You know, uh, he he made it to the national championship with, I mean I mean with with Alabama, and you know he made it to the playoffs with Oklahoma. So and he's he's the mobile guy. You know that the, the league's kind of going towards the the Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, those kind of guys. I think if if the Raiders can get him in the third round, they seem to like him. Maybe pair him with CeeDee Lamb uh, if they if they get him 12th and uh, be able to run that back. And I, th- I think he can do more damage uh, in, in the NFL than he did in college. Yeah, and I'd actually have to go the different route this worked out well because I like Jacob Eason a lot. And I watched a lot of Jacob Eason post the season. I didn't watch a ton of Washington during the season, but through this I've been trying to look into him more. And what I've seen is a guy who – really wasn't amazing in college by any means. He improved from his freshman year at Georgia to playing at uh, Washington this past uh, fall. And what I saw was he's definitely not a perfect prospect. He's not close to a perfect prospect. He has a lot of things to work on, but this guy has a gun. He can throw the ball. He's the best thrower out of the three. He's a better thrower than I think some of the guys at the the top of the draft. He really can throw the football. He makes his receivers better. And if you send him, he can beat uh, one-on-one press coverage. Whatever, whatever's thrown at him, I think he has the ability to beat. And just he, he's impressive. He's, he's big. I like him a lot. There's definitely some question marks, but I really fell in love with him through this. Well, one thing I'm going to talk about, you're going to talk about Jacob Eason. I agree with everything you have to say. Um, but a couple of things. You talked about how he was a gunslinger. I think he's been a little bit turnover prone. And I think that's why it didn't work out so well with him at Georgia. And another question mark I have about him, which I really like to value when looking at prospects, is is he a winner? Because he couldn't get the job done at Georgia. They threw in Jake Fromm, his competitive, and Jake Fromm was able to get the job done. And then at Washington, he, they had really high expectations coming into this year, like they were really going to do some, do some big things in the Pac-12, and they kind of let down. So as good as a prospect as he is, he hasn't been able to win games. So that's just something, the question mark I have on him. See if he could be a winner because that's what you got to do at the next level. But the argument that he took over, that he took Jake, that he, that Jacob, that Jake Fromm took Jacob Eason's job, a little confusing with the two Jakes, but yeah. uh, I think it's, it did happen. There's no denying that. But I think it's overblown the fact that Jacob Eason had a good freshman year. He was playing in the fr- playing as a freshman in the SEC. You saw what Bo Nix did. Everybody's raving about him. It's not like he lit it up. Jacob Eason did very similar things to what Bo Nix did this year. Yeah, but he didn't. But he didn't win the big games like Bo Nix did. Okay, that's fair. 
But I don't think that Georgia team was necessarily ready. I still think they needed another year, which they did obviously do great the next year with Jake Fromm. But Eason got injured. They were playing Appalachian State. I remember watching the game. He got injured. Jake Fromm did great. Power to him. And he ended up taking the job. And I don't think it's not – I don't think there was really a clear, like, controversy. It was more Jake Fromm came in. Jake Fromm killed it. And while that's a plus towards Jake Fromm, I'm not going to take away for Jake from Jacob Eason because of that. And more towards the Washington um, situation, while some of his mistakes might have cost them some games, he wasn't helped out. He had Hunter Bryant, who's a tight end prospect, who I think is going to be very good. But besides that, they were kind of devoid of playmakers, and he suffered from a lot of drops if you go back and watch the tape. So I think there were some things that were out of his control. Mm-hmm. Nick, what you do know, you think about Easton? Well, I mean, I, I like what you said about – uh, Jacob Eason and how Jake Fromm taking over shouldn't hurt him too much because that's exactly what happened with Jalen Hurts and Tua. You know, mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts was playing fine. Tua came in in the national championship and and he just kind of got this place and had to transfer. I mean, you know, it wasn't really his fault. He wasn't playing for like you know poorly. He can still be an effective starting quarterback uh, if if put in the right system and given enough time. And for Hurts, I mean, it's just so interesting because he's definitely the most dynamic out of the three. If you ask me if I want to watch Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, or Jalen Hurts playing a football game, I'm picking Jalen Hurts every time because he can. he's really just a fun guy to watch. I mean, I was watching the game against Baylor again and where they got down, I think, 28-3, to and he uh, led them back to win the game. He, he made some mistakes that game. He needs to work on his fumbles. He has a, his, his uh, angle. He has a kind of like that deep dig that they talk about, like the draft guys, where his throwing motion is really kind of long. But I think a lot of his things where I like Easton as well is that they're fixable. Like neither of these guys, neither I don't think any of these three guys do you expect to go into a situation that start day one. If these guys have an offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach and hopefully a quarterback – who can teach them some things, they can definitely fix the things that they yeah. that, that uh, might have hurt them in college. Well, I think the thing about Jalen Hurts, and I love him, I love his story, I love how well he handled all the controversy that's been thrown at him and came back stronger. And I love watching him play. I'm a big fan of his. But I just think at the next level, if you really break down the tape and watch his games at Oklahoma, he's really just not a great thrower. He's a great athlete, great runner, and he could throw the deep ball. He's got a good arm. But those throws, he's just missing throws that an NFL quarterback can't be missing. And I'm sure he's going to get his opportunities, and I really am rooting for him. But I just think you watch him throw. He misses too many easy throws. He can't put the ball where he needs to be at that next level. So I think I take Fromm and Eason above Jalen Hurts. So the thing with where I thought it was interesting was when I started looking into these guys, I expected to see that, which I did see a little bit of Jalen Hurts missing some throws. But he completed in his last two years, so Bama before he um, got uh, before he was taken out in 2018, he was completing 73% of his passes. And then this year he comes and he throws 70% completion percentage. And if you look at Jake Fromm, he had like a Jarrett Stidham-like drop-off in terms of percentage where over as he got more mature, it seemed like he was completing less and less passes. I think it was um he was only he dropped like seven uh seven he took a seven percent dip in his uh completion percentage from twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen, and something in the scouting report on uh, NFL.com that they were noting was he had a five game stretch where he threw for under fifty percent completion percentage. So it was just weird from. things towards the towards no yeah this from towards November and and the uh, December that really just concerned me personally. I, I agree with you fully. I think Jake Fromm might have actually downgraded, or I can't say he got better over his three years at Georgia, but I just think he showed signs. If you really watch some of those games, he's put some great balls in there, and he's done a lot of really good things. Even that last bowl game against Baylor, he just looked good, and obviously he's got a lot of question marks around him because he didn't get better like some people thought he would. When he went to that game against Alabama, people were so high on him, thought he was going to be the number one quarterback in this draft. And he kind of dropped out of the first two rounds, probably. Definitely a day two guy. So I really don't know. And he didn't have the weapons at Georgia like he had when he was a younger quarterback there. So we'll see what he can do. Yeah, uh, I, I like I like Jake Fromm. Obviously, like you said, he was supposed to be like a, a top five pick a few years ago. And he hasn't really picked it up. I don't know if who you can blame here, but I think he still has that kind of potential to be a starter if he's drafted to the right team. But this is one of those situations where it has to be a perfect fit 
I like I right now I was doing a seven round mock draft. I am in the fourth round of the Lions. I think that would be a good spot for him just to learn under a guy that mm. plays like him, like Matthew Stafford. Yeah. You know, um, similar like Georgia guys. Maybe draft some of the guys he played with. You know, uh, to, to help ease that. But I, I still think he has the potential. But I just don't like him right now as much as guys like Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I think just um, another thing that's interesting with these three guys, I wish we got to see Jacob Eason this year because, versus LSU because that's kind of the one, the way I was looking at it for Jalen Hurts and Jake Fromm. They both played LSU in uh, big games, obviously, the uh, first round of the college football playoff for uh, Hurts and the uh, the um, SEC championship game for Fromm. And they both really struggled. So. First of all, a credit, uh, although a little bit off topic, to the uh, guys at LSU. They were great this year, great defense. <laughs> yeah. Even if Joe Burrow took a little bit of their uh, fame and spotlight. But it was just interesting. Fromm especially, I thought, looked a little lost against that defense. That's more of a pro defense if there is one in college. And Hurts, obviously, I don't know how much of it was just trying to do too much where the, he just couldn't – the defense couldn't get stops and they were in such a big hole. But for Fromm, most of the game was – it was very close in that SEC championship game for a while, and he had probably the worst game of his college career. Mm. Well, I think Jalen Hurts, though, also really, really struggled in that LSU mm-hmm. game. He didn't complete the ball. And he had the C.D. Lamb, who we talked about as a phenomenal weapon. against And he really struggled. He had a couple good plays to C.D. Lamb down the field in the first half of that game. But he really, with good weapons, and they had other weapons with C.D. Lamb, and he really couldn't do anything. And that LSU team is phenomenal. I don't want to discredit a quarterback for how they played against an NFL secondary. With no, that's fair. The rest of the offense probably didn't match up to the LSU defense, so it's not the biggest. He really, with weapons, both of those guys got picked apart. And that would have been – that's a good point. I wonder how Easton would have fared. And I can't imagine too great yeah. against Especially with the rest of his offense. So, uh, just I think that we have three really good guys, three guys with a lot of potential. It would certainly be interesting, especially for all three of us who had different opinions here. So, uh, that was, I think, all three of those guys. It's going to be very interesting to see where they land and who they're developing under. So, uh, for the last part of our draft coverage, uh, me and Jake are New York guys, so we're very invested in the New York teams. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah, obviously that's not that's not the greatest thing for uh yeah. for um, <laughs> most people, but we're invested in a fan way, at least in my part. And yeah. uh, I know that this year it's a big draft for both the Jets and the Giants. Both have a uh, high picks. The Jets are at eleven, and right now it seems like they're stuck between either taking an offensive lineman or a wide receiver. So, what do you guys think should be the move there? So personally, I think that. You can, as the 49ers proved, you can win games without a great wide receiver. With You don't need a great receiver. You don't need a guy like Julio Jones. But you need an offensive lineman. For Sam Donald, he needs a tackle, someone who can protect his blind side. I really like Andrew Thomas from Georgia if he's still there at 11. And I just think that that's what you need to win games. I think that they got Bershard Perryman. They got Jameson Crowder. They have some receivers who can catch the ball. But without Lyman and for Sam Darnold and for Le'Veon Bell, just success isn't really going to be there. Yeah, uh, I, I agree completely with that. Like, they're 11, they're in position. Maybe Jedrick Wills is there or Andrew Thomas. You're probably going to get one of them. And then the second round, this is one of the best receiver classes we've seen ever. So maybe maybe someone like T. Higgins or Jalen Rieger is there in the second round, and then you can go off and tackle at 12. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think it's a really deep class, which is one thing at receiver. You got the T. Higgins, maybe Justin Jefferson falls. I think there's guys, um, Michael Pittman from at USC I like a lot. So there's guys to get that can come in and do the job, where the linemen, you really need one of those great guys for Donald yeah. and Ben. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because, I mean, I think the obvious answer is to go offense. Offensive line from everything we know about team building is that have being good in the trenches is so important. And this year, the good thing for the Jets this year is there are two positions of need. They need an offensive tackle desperately. There's a there's a lot of good offensive tackles, whether it's uh, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, any of those three uh, would be very good. Jedrick Wills as well. Um, they're really a good group of tackles. And um, for the wide receivers, like you guys were talking about, this is a deep draft. I remember I remember hearing on ESPN one one uh, analyst saying that he think they could get 
start starters in year one or year two in like the fourth or fifth round. So that's like this has been one of the this is one of the deepest wide receiver drafts in in recent memory, probably of all time. But like you said, for the need for the offensive lineman, Darnold was on was sacked fifty two times, and I don't think this is a big year for him. And I think for the Jets to really evaluate him as their franchise quarterback if they want to stick with him or move on. You can't have him on the ground so many times. It's just not good. He's not going to do well in that sort of environment. Well, one thing about the Jets, though, as I think that the obvious choice is to pick a lineman, but I really would not be surprised if they went with a wide receiver because they were really aggressive with linemen and free agency, and they weren't as successful as they thought they'd be. They didn't really get any great guys, Mm -hmm. but they were able to pick up some linemen, so I think that maybe they might be aimed towards picking a Jerry Judy, Henry Rugg, C.D. Lamb at 11 and thinking a guy that'll sell tickets and be an interesting guy because a receiver is huge for a quarterback, too. Maybe not as big as a tackle, but the receivers are big for them. Yeah, well, I think think the perfect move for them since this draft is so deep they can get another receiver in round three. If they say they get Andrew Thomas round one, T. Higgins falls to round two. Like you said, Michael Pittman Jr., he played with Sam Darnold in 2016. So they already have somewhat of a connection. They already know each other. Have him come in as, as not a lot of pressure, the second receiver, third round pick. Have, bring in two new guys to add to the pair and Crowder that they already have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Jets' weapons, it's not a terrible situation, especially towards the end of the year you saw they started to use Le'Veon Bell in the correct way. You yeah. can use Le'Veon Bell on the outside, you can put him in the slot. When he was with Pittsburgh, he was doing that a lot, and it was successful. And he still gets How old is Bell? Bell, I believe he's in his late 20s. I think he's 27, but one of you guys could check me on that. Yeah. So he's got a couple more years left of before he hits that 30 mark where he can be another weapon on the team. And if you get him alignment, he could do so much for you, be a receiver and a running back, really do it all. But I think if you watched the Jets last year, what you could notice is is that teams – Le'Veon Bell had a bad year, but I don't know how, bad, how much he's to blame. I didn't think he was deployed correctly. But even besides that, I think teams were really focusing in on the run. And because they didn't feel like the Jets had the weapons on, on the outside to take advantage, they kind of went – we're gonna we're gonna let our cornerbacks and safeties deal with the um deal with the playmakers on the outside and see what you and make make you make you throw. They tried. To, I think teams tried to I, not throw rather than run. I don't think you can blame Le'Veon Bell at all for what happened. As I agree completely. He was really turning nothing into something. If you watched, as I remember, he was turning one or two yard runs into five yards, and it's hard when you don't have the blockers to break big runs, but. He was kind of shimmying and shifting back there as the patient runner he is and turning something into nothing. And if he gets a few more offensive linemen, I think he could get back to having a 1,000-yard season where he needs to be. Yeah, I think, I think it all starts with the offensive line. Yeah, it'll help Sam Darnold, obviously. He, he can't be getting hit as often as he does. But Le'Veon Bell needs help too, especially we can't forget the Jets already lost Robbie Anderson. So they didn't add Rashad Perriman to what they had last year. They are replacing him with a much worse receiver. Uh, they did sign some offensive linemen. I think uh, George Fant, some other guys. Not, you know, not really anybody that you feel safe taking over as the left tackle yeah. or anything like that. So, I mean, yeah, it, it all starts with the offensive line. Yeah, it, the offensive line is so important for a young quarterback for the situation they have. I mean, they paid Le'Veon Bell a lot of money. And like Jake kind of alluded to earlier, he's not getting any younger. So if you want to get the best thing out of this deal, it seems like offensive tackle is the best way to go. But just from to play devil's advocate a little bit on the way of put it, put, uh, drafting a receiver, I think that one thing is, like Jake's saying, a receiver's an exciting pick. You, you yeah. get Jerry Judy, that's a guy who, like we said, we're, I think we're, we were all in consensus, we really like Jerry Judy. And I think that's a guy who, he, like you said, he can get open. So if he's getting open, that's going to help Darnold a lot. He's going to have a guy where he can trust to move the chains, get you those 12 yards on third and 10, get you those seven yards on third and five, and possibly more. He's dynamic. And even I just think that's something that would be so valuable to Darnold because, I mean, like we said, the it's, like you alluded to, Nick, they didn't gain Brashard Perriman and then have everything they had last year. Brashard Perriman is going to come in as hopefully uh, Robbie Anderson replacement with which based on the end of his, the end of the, the year for Bouchard, he played yeah, that, really yeah. well. He did. Was, yeah, James Winston, they had a nice connection. He averaged 17, uh, 17 point yards a catch. So he was doing well. He could play that role. But I don't think that 
I don't know if that's going to be enough for Darnold to flourish. Well, I don't think we should discount the Jets' weapons completely. Obviously, they're far from elite. But I think Brashard Perryman is very close to Robbie Anderson for five, eight, five mm-hmm. million deeper. Oh, yeah. So I, I think it was the right move letting Anderson he play. Go. And he showed, yeah. he showed signs of greatness, Brashard. Not greatness, but being a really good, legit NFL wide receiver with Jameis Winston, who I think is a guy similar to Sam Darnold. So he can be good. Chris Herndon had a great rookie year out of Miami. Yeah, Chris Herndon, I have that written down. That's like yeah. the big the big mystery factor because oh, he, he had 39 catches, 500 yards as a rookie. Those are good for, for a rookie tight end. You don't really see those numbers yeah. that often. So if he, he can – I would have loved to see what he could have done last year. If he comes in and he becomes like a reliable guy and gets 60 or 70 catches, I think that if you knew that's what he was, I think then picking an offensive lineman was like a done deal. Yeah. But because you don't know where he's coming from, that's a big question mark. Yeah, well, I mean, we – I don't want to forget maybe the possibility of trading for someone like Trent Williams. His price tag is going down. If they could maybe get trading for a third, probably will cost a second. If you can get Trent Williams, plug him in at left tackle, and then just draft whichever wide receiver you want, you might have all three available to you at 11 if no one trades up. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting point to, uh, to bring up because if you – Trent Williams, based on – obviously he's been waiting for a while. He didn't play at all last year, and he really doesn't um, have – it doesn't seem like he has much interest in rejoining the Redskins. So they're kind of tied down in the sense that they either pay him, which doesn't seem like they're going to do, or they trade him. And now if you compile that with the fact that trading him because of the, uh, because of the uh, coronavirus and no teams are allowed in their uh, facilities and are allowed to do physicals, any trade that you do uh, would be without a physical or anything. So that could even dr- uh, drive the pr- price down even lower. So if you can get him at an affordable price and you trust that he's healthy, that could be – and then draft wide receiver, that might be the plan that the Jets would love to take, but it's a big risk. Both but the them. affordable price also is a big question mark on him as he's got a big asking price, probably overvalued. He probably overvalues himself, and mm-hmm. you don't want to blow up a couple of years of cap space paying a guy like that who has had character issues, who has had injury issues. Mm-hmm. So I about him, a lot of question marks around him if they need to bring him into a young up-and-coming team. I don't know if that's the right choice. Yeah, the Jets do have a big question coming up, but I think we all we've kind of all taken the side that either you draft an offensive lineman early and settle with the uh, wide receiver later in the draft in this deep wide receiver class, or you do something creative like trading for a Trent Williams and set up yeah. Sam Darnold with the Jerry Judy. One one more quick comment on that. I know we got to get but to the next about the deep wide receiver class. I think we've seen the last few years that. You don't have to pick one of those top guys to get a successful guy like Justin Jefferson, Pittman, Higgins. You could get a really good guy in the later rounds mm-hmm. like Metcalf. So you don't really have to jump the gun on a wide receiver, which even furthers the offensive line. So now we're going to talk about the other New York team, the New York football giants. They have the fourth pick in this upcoming draft. And uh, it's an interesting spot because they have a lot of options, offensive linemen, linebacker, trade down. Uh, what do you guys think they're – where do you think they should go and what do you think they would do? Well, I think the best choice, but I think he's going to be gone at three, is Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. Yeah. I think he's phenomenal, but let's just say that he goes to the lines at three, which most people think. Then I really like Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. I think he's versatile. He can do it all. He's going to help that defense. That defense is a lot of holes, and a guy like Okuda can only fill one hole. And a guy like Higgins is going to be able to come in and play a lot of positions. He's a winner, a competitor. I really like him a lot. Yeah, uh, I, I think we might all agree on this one, too. I, I know I keep going back to the offensive line is most important. And the, the Giants do need some help there. Maybe Tristan Wirfs. Is he worth it at four? I don't know. But I think it's Isaiah Simmons. He can do it all. This defense needs help everywhere, and he can help everywhere. And he, he's just a rare player. And when you have the chance to get someone like that, I think you have to. I mean, I really like Isaiah Simmons. I mean, reading the sense, he had 107 tackles in his college season, 16 tackle for loss, eight sacks. And it almost seems like if you look at the Giants' moves prior to this, um, prior to the draft, it seems like they're setting themselves up for this pick. One example of this is that um, they got Blake Martinez from the Packers on a three-year, $30 million deal. And he's uh, kind of plug up the middle on the run, get a lot of tackles, middle linebacker, but he's pretty bad in coverage. And that's kind of Isaiah Simmons. That's his bread and butter. He's a great – he can guard the tight end. He's a, he's a really good at 
he can even guard some receivers and he can get F2 that. And also, like uh, you guys were saying, how he fills multiple holes on a defense. He can play linebacker. He can play safety. He can come off the edge occasionally. So I think that's a huge thing. But one thing that I'm worried about is his frame. I don't know if he's going to be big enough to really withstand all those hits that he's going to take as a middle linebacker. Well, I think that in the NFL, his time will tell. And if he can't hang in the middle of those linebackers, of course, he could always go play safety, always bounce to the outside. So you, it could take a year to find the right spot for him. But I think a guy like him, once they find the right spot, he's going to be great. And another thing on Isaiah Simmons, which I really hate that it has come to this, but Dave Gettleman needs to pick a wow guy right now. He's had a lot of controversial moves, and I think if he kind of picks a quote-unquote boring offensive tackle, that his relationship with the fans might just be going down the drain and he risks losing his job. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid – I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I don't mind if Gettleman messes up the pick. Feel free. But, um, yeah, I think it's got to be Simmons. The offensive lineman could be seen as more boring pick, but um, I, I would go Simmons either way. Yeah, it's a tough pick, but one one reason why I might take the offensive lineman here is that, first of all, like we said, I, I really like this tackle class, and I think my my guy is actually not even – I mean, it's for me it's between Wirf, uh, Tristan Wirfs and uh, Jedrick Wills. I think Wills is more pro-ready where uh, Tristan Wirfs is a, a really good athlete at the tackle position. But it's important, I think, for them because, first of all, if you look at – they were only – the uh, Giants QBs were sacked 43 times last year. That's not an awful number. Obviously, it's far from ideal compared to Sam Darnold on the, uh, in the same stadium getting sacked 52 times last year. But it's not a great number. And there was also – I don't know if you guys remember, but it was early in the year. I forget which game where Saquon had that awful game. I think he had like 10 carries for 11 yes. yards. And he was yeah. frustrated. So you've already had one star in Odell Beckham. Junior, who was unhappy with the franchise, and they decided to trade him. And it seems like they're committed to Saquon Barkley, so does that factor come in where you really want to beef up the offensive line to keep your star player happy? I think that's really interesting, and you you got to help the offense, and you got to help a guy like Saquon, who is now the face of the franchise. But I don't think we should play too much to the amount of sacks, as I don't find that so important as – a defining character in the offensive line because Daniel Jones is a guy who's going to get the ball off quickly. He doesn't want to run around back there. Mm -hmm, so he's probably fair. not going to get sacked as much as a guy like Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson who's going to dance a lot back there looking for the big mm -hmm. play. So I don't want to overvalue the amount of yeah, sacks. That's a very good point. But also for the um for Daniel Jones, he's he's a he's a he's had a good rookie year. I was very happy with the way Daniel Jones played. If you're a Giants fan, I think you have to be. He I think he had a greater impact than many people thought, especially based on Giants fans' reaction to him being drafted last year. Yeah. But um, he, he was turnover prone. He was fumble prone. He threw 12 picks. He had a bunch of fumbles. So I think that's another kind of pro for drafting offensive linemen. He's not fumbling the ball if he's not getting hit as much. He's not throwing intercept. He's not forcing throws if he's not getting rushed as hard. So I think that's another thing where what – Makes you when you have a young quarterback, you want to see them for what they are on the rookie deal is the best time to evaluate them while they're not breaking the bank. So that's another factor for the job. And they signed um, James Bradbury to help the defense. Yeah. So maybe they are look that was their kind of big free agency splash, I think. And they got Martinez, so they really did. They spent yeah, they, they, did. they invested a good amount of money in the defense, yeah. But it's still that it was a bad defense last year. I think they were 30th in scoring, they really couldn't stop anybody. They would have been in a lot more games if they could have gotten some stops at some key times, but obviously that didn't really happen. Because they have some good guys on offense, Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slate, and Saquon. They have the weapons, so maybe an offensive lineman or is what they need, or they got a lot of holes, though, to figure it out, and they're going to have to be picking guys in later rounds. So Gettleman's going to have to have a good draft if they want to be successful. Well, I think they still have the chance to get a lineman early if they want one. They can take Simmons up four. And then you look at the bottom of the first round, Seattle's at 27. They're always willing to trade. San Francisco has no picks in rounds two, three, or four. At 31, they could trade down. The Chiefs have been rumored to trade down. If the Giants want to get creative, send their second and their third. Their third is one of the last picks in the third round, I believe. Um, trade both of those and go up and get uh, whichever tackles left. If Josh Jones is there, uh, Isaiah Wilson, one of those guys. Yeah. And I know also an offensive lineman who's going to be around probably the end of the first in that area 
he's an interior guy who could really help with the run. Cesar Ruiz, the center from Michigan, who people have raved <laughs> about, was really good on tape, had a really good year for them. So he's a really good lineman in the later round if you want to boost off the center position, probably the best center in the draft. Yeah. yeah, they definitely have a big decision to make, and I think that's going to uh, do it for our draft coverage. Uh, thank you, Nick, so much for coming on. Yeah. Everybody follow Jersey X Swat. It's a great account. He does a lot of good work. We had a really good time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll be back after, uh, after yeah. this with some more some more uh, NFL and uh, MLB content. But, Nick, thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. All right. So we talked some NFL draft with our good friend, Nick. Now we're going to talk a little MLB. And uh, so the MLB is attempting to be the first league to come back um, after all sports were shut down near the uh, middle of March because of the uh, coronavirus. So we just want to talk over this plan. I think a lot of people are confused about what, how they're going about it and what the plan is and just, just to, I guess, evaluate it a little bit. So Jeff Passan, who's a, a really good MLB writer for ESPN, he kind of broke down what was going on. So one quote was uh, how they live. Obviously, coronavirus is contagious. I think we know that. We're not health experts, but we do know that. So how it would work was that the players, the coaching staffs, and other essential personnel would be sequestered at local hotels where they would live in relative isolation and tra tra travel only to and from the stadium. So essentially what that means is they're going to go – you're going to be at the hotel, and then you're going to go to the field, and then you're going to go back. So this also means that this would all be played in the uh, Phoenix. This would all be played in the Phoenix area, Arizona. I don't know. If they had about they had multiple ballparks. They had made yeah. one to the Diamondback Stadium, and then they had a couple um spring training parks that they could play. Yeah, because that's where the uh, Arizona. That's where half of spring training is held in Arizona and Florida. So they're going to go between those ballparks, and um, the interest is. Interesting thing about this is, which I didn't expect to see, was that the federal officials at uh, the CDC, um, as well as the National Institute of Health, um, have been supportive of, of a plan that would adhere to strict isolation, promote social distancing, and allow MLB to become the first professional sport to return. It's obviously a quote. I didn't come up with that. but So it's interesting to me that they actually are, if you can keep it like this and it can adhere to the social distancing, that they want to get the sports back, which I take as positive. What about you, Jake? Well, yeah. The, um, well, one other thing which I thought was a big detail is the dugout's always been famous in baseball. And this new setup, they actually wouldn't have the dugout. The yeah. players actually sit in the bleachers with the proper social distancing away from each other, which I thought was interesting. That could work. But then the one big question I had about this, and hopefully we could bring to light, there is some parts of baseball where you're not social distancing. What about oh yeah, you're gonna. That's what they're bringing up in the article. If you have a guy, if you're the first base, if you're the first baseman, the guy's not gonna take a six feet away lead. Yeah. He's gonna get picked off at first. And stealing too plays at the plate. Yeah, there's definitely some inherent contact. So I think the idea, like, I don't think. Yeah, you can set them apart, set the players apart in the stands instead of the dugout, which I think makes sense on a theoretical level. I don't know how practical it is, but I just don't see a world where you're telling me that once Pete Alonso hits a 480-foot bomb that uh, J.D. Davis and Dom Smith aren't going to give him a little high five. Like, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the way that this is achievable, which the um, article talks about, is that you need to have the uh, proper amount of testing. You need to be able to test. Yeah, so they said they would have a lot of it. If you know that you're in a bubble, essentially, it's basically a baseball bubble where you're only seeing other baseball players and everybody's been tested and everybody doesn't have it. If you're really, 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 really strict, which it seems like they're trying to be, then I think it could work. Well, the biggest problem with it and why I personally don't think it'll happen, or at least this plan is, <coughs> excuse me, they don't want to live in a bubble. They have families, and that's tough for those guys with newborn babies and new wives to really step away from their families for five months. I think it would be tough for the MLBPA to agree to this because it really is a tougher lifestyle for them. So I don't know if that's something that they would all be interested in and you don't have much of a lead without the players. So a big factor to that actually, where they think they'll be able to get the MLB Players Association, MLBPA, that's what you're referring to, is um, basically they're going to use expanded rosters 
So that would mean the average baseball roster is 25. The new rules would actually make it 26 for this year. They didn't go into a number, but they said they were going to have much more expanded. Yeah, I heard it was going to get up to like 45, 50 players. So that's where the MLBPA could be hooked in because if you have 50 players, that's double every team. That's twice as many players in the league. That means all these players from the minors who would be without a job, who would make $0, now we're going to have not only the opportunity to – possibly compete at the major league level, but have the opportunity to make a paycheck. So yeah, that's I really a huge, love that for huge, them. huge thing that might, that might make this work is the expanded rosters. Because the, and at the end of the day, got, as much as the MLBPA wants to uh, adhere and make sure that all the players are happy, their number one is making sure that the players are making their money. That's what they yeah. want to do. Everybody wants to make the money in this situation. And I think this is the only way that's going to happen. So it's crazy. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting idea. It's, it's really interesting to me that, that this is um, how they went about it and they've crafted this plan. Although it's important to note that this isn't, this isn't the 100% plan. This is still – this is one of the many plans they've been discussing, but this is the one that's kind of gained the most traction. In the last I think we'd be remiss if we also didn't talk about the umpire, what they want to do, and they were talking about an electronic strike zone, mm-hmm. and I, that would be kind of – that could usher in the new wave of baseball. So if we did – this did happen, I think we'd definitely be experimenting with the electronic strike zone, which is exciting. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, if you can make a good situation out of this, you can gain something from it. That would be, that would be awesome. And the electronic strike zone is something that I like a lot because I think that it just strikes are so hard to call. I mean, from yeah. that angle, if you have a near perfect system, I think it makes sense even in regular situations. So also just some other things as we've been talking about some of the tweaks that the league would have to make. So they would do a, one of the plans uh, for this Arizona plan would be uh, they would do seven inning double headers. So, you know, obviously the regular baseball game is nine innings and planned double headers haven't been a thing for a couple of for a, for a good amount of years. But in order to get the um, perfect amount of games in, uh, to get not the perfect amount, but to get as close to 162 yeah. as they can, they do the uh, seven, uh, the seven inning games and just do some double headers. They understand that playing nine innings back to back on a regular basis won't work. But that's also where the increased rosters come in because yeah, well, I think that was fine with the bigger rosters. I don't think they'd have such a problem with that. I think that's a great idea, and I think that that really would work out. And but keep, that's keep just more That's just another thing that the players themselves are probably going to have a problem with. Seven inning games. Our best, our best thing is our closer. Our, we're a bullpen team, you know. It's and that's the thing about these situations. Working back into sports for every sport, it's not going to appease everybody, and there has to be a big level of compromise. And um, also another thing that's interesting, which I would love is that the, uh, they're thinking about making the players use on field microphones, which they've actually experimented with in spring training. Sometimes they'll have a spring training game on ESPN and they'll uh, mic up like, let's say a Mookie Betts or an Aaron judge. And they'll mm-hmm. talk to them during the game. The announcers will. And obviously you can talk to them during the game, spring training game. And it's not really a big deal. Yeah. There wouldn't be that, but just to hear the uh, players as they're playing mic'd up, that would be a really cool, interesting thing. Yeah. I think that would be where they did this then, it worked out, they would keep doing it even when regular play resumes. Well, that's what is about this whole situation in all of sports, when sports do resume, I think. And even in the whole world, we're going to find out what's essential and what's non-essential when stuff comes back. What can we cut out to become more efficient? I know that if sports come back, soon as I hope there probably won't be reporters in the locker room and if it comes out and there's they loved having no reporters in the locker room maybe we'll go on with the future without reporters in the locker room which would be interesting and uh we'll move on from this in a little bit also one a lot of people were wondering okay this is a good idea until one person somehow manages to get it and the whole season's over but they don't think that that apparently this is probably by the article they don't think that one positive test will end everything. They think that it's because of the expanded rosters, they can kind of work it out where they can have the other guys not be there and they can obviously get rid of the player who isn't, who is, who does test positive. And I think based on the people who are there and the uh, shape that they're in, most of them are obviously either athletes. They're the top, the cream of the crop in terms of uh, the uh, being in good shape. But it, like we said, I mean, if 
will the players be comfortable with that? I don't know. It's going to be a real – if the players approve this, I think it will be so fascinating to see it play out. I mean, I know for one, I want sports back as soon as possible, but not at the cost of other people's lives or something. If bringing baseball back means that more tests go to baseball or football or basketball and that doesn't help the overall good, I wouldn't be in favor of that. Yeah. But these are – before their entertainment, they're multi – billion dollar corporations and when they're not running the rest of the economy feels that burden yeah i would yeah i agree with you and i think that the only way this could work though is if they get those tests they got to have easy access to tests because we're not going to risk the lives of the players and the people in the organization so it's got to be a foolproof plan for it to happen definitely definitely so we're going to move on to some more nfl news and uh i believe i don't know the exact day but it was reported that uh, Brandon Cooks has been traded to the loss um, from the Los Angeles Rams to the Houston Texans. Uh, the Rams get the Rams uh, get rid of Cooks and a 2022 fourth round pick, and they receive uh, number 57 overall pick in this year's draft. Brandon Cooks has been a guy who's now been on four different teams in the last five years, I believe: New Orleans, New England the Rams and now he's in Houston. So, and he's been pretty fortunate. He's been bounced around with contenders, but Mm -hmm. he's really has been a guy who's been on a bunch of different teams. And now he's in Houston, which has obviously been a team that's been in the news all the free agency. Yeah. And I mean, this is just a more of a funny note, but Brandon Cooks is probably the best player I've ever seen to get moved around this much. He's been the number one or number two receiver in uh, his, in his, in uh, on the teams that he's been on. But he continues to get moved. It seems like every off season. He's been well, this year was one of this was one of the worst picks. What'd you say? Sorry, this bad. was one of the worst years that he's had. Though he really did struggle. Oh no, he struggled this year. This was so uh, a bounce back. Yeah. So this year he had uh, 42 catches, 583 yards, and only two touchdowns. At he was injured for a couple of games, and um, in the second half of the season he was a non-factor. It was much more Cooper Cup. Tyler Higby, Robert Woods for uh, Jared Goff in terms of his targets. And it was one of those situations for the Rams where they were in this contract situation. They wanted to get out of it. They were willing to get rid of good – like Brandon Fick still, I think, has the opportunity to be a really good player, but they're at the point they have a messy cap situation. You saw that yeah. they got rid of Todd Gurley. They did the same with Brandon Cooks because they're really prioritizing getting their cap situation right. Mm-hmm. So, Well, now I think we should go into his fit in Houston – so obviously they were they've been infamous this offseason for moving one of the best receivers in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins, to Arizona. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like what they did. And obviously I disagree with the move. But I guess this is why we have the name Hot Takes because that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a pretty scolding one, Jake. I kind of like what's going on in Houston. Obviously it's going to be a downgrade on the team when you lose a guy like Hopkins. But as Bill O'Brien said that he wanted – he had – unrealistic salary demands, which you just can't pay a receiver like that and expect to compete, especially when you got to pay a guy like Watson. And they did get three weapons who I like. Randall Cobb, who's proved that he could be a success in the slot. Brandon Cooks, as we just talked about. And David Johnson, who at his peak was a top three running back, and I think he could get back to that in a good offense. You know, I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it if you're a Texans fan. But I think realistically – I can't – I mean, did they do – did Bill Ryan do a decent job of supplementing talent and getting some guys? Yes. Randall Cobb, for me, he's a guy who you – know, he, was, had a, he was on a decline in, uh, in Green Bay. He was uh, kind of falling off of a cliff. He went back to Cow- the Cowboys' one-year prove-it deal, and that's – what he did is the reason that, like, those one-year prove-it deals exist and why players go with them. They want, to, they want to go on to a situation that they like, and they want to prove that they still have skills that they've been known for. Randall Cobb had a good year. I'm not going to say he had a great year because it, yeah. it was nothing near peak Randall Cobb. But he's still had a really solid year, and that's with Dak as his quarterback. We, some people have a bad opinion on Dak. We'll get into that a little bit. We'll get to that. But he had a good year. I mean, then you look at the rest of this offense. Will Fuller, if he stays healthy, do we think he can become a number one? Brandon Cooks, before last year struggling, really struggling, he had, I think, four years in a row with a thousand yard, a thousand yard receiving seasons. But 
So on the outside, it looked, and then like you said, David Johnson, still, even if he doesn't, I don't think he'll return to what he was in 2016, where he was probably the best running back in football. But if he can return to being a top 15, top 10 running back. I think he can get back. That's, that's, that's huge. But then you look deeper into it for me. For me, first of all, the, the issue with the Brandon Cooks thing is you trade number 50, uh, pick number 57. That's a second-round pick. What we were talking about with uh, Nick earlier, this is the deepest receiver class in the, in the whole in, the, uh, in, in a very long time. So if you take Brandon Cooks as good as he's been over his career, he's a guy coming off of his worst year. He, I don't know if you remember Super Bowl 52. He took that hit against Malcolm yeah. Jenkins where he was knocked out. That was a really scary sight. And we're happy that he was able to rebound from that. He's had four concussions since then. So that is, that's, that's, that's a huge, huge factor. But whenever you trade a player for a draft pick, I think you have to think, at pick number 57, were they going to get a receiver better than Brandon Cooks? And I, obviously that's a possibility, but I think it's unrealistic in a team that's in win-now mode that they were going to get a receiver better than Brandon Cooks at 57. Okay. And, they need, and they needed to get make a move quickly, which I think to us – kind of get the DeAndre Hopkins out of people's head. Yeah. But so basically what they lost in game. So you are uh, in trading DeAndre, you get Brandon Cooks and David Johnson. And then because they traded, they got it. They got the Cardinals second round pick, right? And then they traded theirs. They upgraded their second round pick instead of keeping them. So I just think it's one of those things for me where I can't say I'm pro the moves themselves because I'm, I think the Texans fans have a right to be frustrated at Bill O'Brien just on some of the decisions he's made over his tenure. But like you said, he he didn't like DeAndre Hopkins. He's the GM. He's gonna he was gonna get rid of DeAndre Hopkins because of the salary depends because of it seemed like they kind of went head to head a little bit on some things. So it this is the team that he wants, and we're gonna see if it works out. You know, like me and you may not agree with it, but if they ended up going twelve and four and winning the division. Who are we to say anything? Right now, I disagree with you. I think Bill O'Brien's done a bad job, but I could see a situation where this ends up being a kind of good, a good situation where Deshaun Watson has a lot of weapons, a lot of proven guys who, although they might not be at the top of their game, still are very valuable. You let the young guys develop a little more. I mean, you got Carlos Hyde who ran for a thousand yards last year very quietly. You have a really solid two-headed backfield. There's certainly some things that I don't think things are as bad as people would like to make. No, well let's let's not forget where Houston was this year, because Houston was up twenty-four nothing in the divisional championship game, and I think if a couple things went their way and they played the game a little bit smarter, they're in that AFC championship game where they're the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. So they were a couple bounces away from being in the championship game. So mm-hmm. I think we can't discount that. And I really just don't think they have as much as a downgrade as people think. I think that they have a lot of weapons on offense. Maybe one of the deepest weapon arsenals in the league with Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, David Johnson, and Carlos Hyde. Those are some good toys for Deshaun Watson to play with. Let's not forget about that. But I think it's hard to look at these things from an offseason standpoint. Because right now you look at that and you say, oh, great, they still have a really solid team. But what happens when Brandon Cooks gets hurts himself again, which we really hope he doesn't. We never hope that. But it's a realistic thing that could happen. He's the guy who's missing yeah, but, he's also, but it's also realistic that he comes out and has 1,200 yards. So, like, I think it's realistic both ways. You just got to kind of mm-hmm. hope for the best, prepare for the worst. But in that situation, what about if Desha- uh, Randall Cobb in a deeper group of receivers, I feel like, doesn't really – can't goes back to more of his 2018 formula as 2019. He's still getting older. What if Will, Will Fuller's another guy who hasn't been able to stay out the injury report? I think if everything goes right, this is a really solid group, but I wouldn't bank on that. Yeah. Well, I think Will Fuller's a guy who I really like, and when he's had the opportunity and he stayed healthy, he's been successful. So I think he could be great. He could almost get to that top tier of wide receivers and be the number one guy there. He's got the size. He could take the top off you. He had that phenomenal game this year. So I really think he could do a lot of good for the team. Mm -hmm. So we talked Will Fuller, and I mean, just before we leave, everything's great until you have to be a number one receiver 
Um, let's ask uh, Juju Smith-Schuster about that one. <laughs> Life is number one. I don't know if he has to be the number one receiver. I think Brandon Cooks is coming in as the number one I receiver. I think he's the number one. Okay. I think Brandon Cooks is going to get that top corner matchup. And Randall Cobb's going to – they're going to have – you got a lot of guys to guard. You have to have – I think it certainly could go well. I just don't think it will. And I hope to be proven wrong. I love watching Deshaun Watson. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the league to watch, and I'd really like to see him succeed with these weapons. I think – if he, if he runs it this year, nobody's going to say, oh, he's just doing it because he had DeAndre Hopkins, the, one of the best receivers in football. It's going to be because he was he was doing it himself and he was really making his weapons work. And he's in a contract year this year too, so he's got yeah. a lot to share if he a wants lot. that group of money. So we talked about uh, one Texas team. Now we're going to talk about the other. And it's the question that's in many, uh, tech, uh, many of a Dallas fans' mind and – Certainly on the mind of Jerry Jones, Dak Prescott, to pay or not to pay? Um, well, hmm. you got to pay him. I mean, do I, think he's, do, I, do I think he's deserving of the money that he will get? He will get. Do I think he's deserving of it? No, but he's a franchise guy. He's a guy that with the weapons around him and the team around him, he could get them where they need to be. They're really, I think, a couple of guys away from being a Super Bowl contender, if not already. So I think that it's too risky to let him fly. Hopefully his demands aren't too extraordinary. But whatever he wants, he's going to get. He had a great year statistically this year. Obviously they didn't get where they wanted. But I think he's a very mediocre quarterback, but he's going to get his bag. Yeah, I think there's a certain like um, – there's a certain way the way that you're thinking about it, and I kind of agree. It's kind of an if more than – I mean a when more than an if. Yeah. Because, you know, Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones is willing to pay to keep a good football team together. I think even though they went 8-8 last year, he still believes in this team. And uh, so that's where I think that they just kind of have to do it. And that's the thing. We were talking about this last episode. It's the league right now. You throw, you throw a lot of money for mediocre quarterback play. But yeah, exactly. before we started – um, calling Dak mediocre, which I think he was for the first three years of his career. Last year, he really did step it up. He, he threw a 1,000 more yards than he ever threw. He had 30 touchdowns, 11 picks. But honestly, this is going to sound a little backwards, but I like the fact that he threw a few more picks because it means he was testing the defense a little more. He was doing more last year. He was taking more on his shoulders, and he had some really good games out of it. Well, don't come, don't come at me with Dak's elite because he was I'm great. I'm not saying he's the, elite. He was, I'm saying he's he was great elite. against don't the bad teams. He was great against the bad teams. But yeah. when he had to win games, the big games, like that huge game in Philly or against Philly week 16, he was not the guy. He was not the elite guy. That was the game where if he won that game, he has his money right now in his pocket and he couldn't. And yeah. Jerry Jones is going to pay his guys. That's what Jerry Jones wants to do. And he's going to pay him. But I don't know if that's going to take them in the right direction. But I just – I think – I mean, you think it's inevitable. I think it's inevitable. But I just would have loved to see them keep him on the franchise, maybe sign a Marcus Mariota, maybe draft a guy. If they draft a guy, I'm really – I think I could see uh, Jalen Hurts going there. I don't know what their uh, pick situation is. But maybe he goes there. Maybe Jake Fromm. Maybe Jacob Eason. Maybe somebody lower. Just to kind of tell Dak, all right, we're not. Maybe this deal will happen next year. Does Dak play under the franchise tag? I don't think he does. So it's very, very interesting. And it's just, it's. Well, I don't think Dak's too worried because guys, Dak's still probably a top twelve quarterback. So if mm-hmm. you're bringing in a Jacob Easton, a Jake Fromm, a Jalen Hurts, I don't think Dak doing yeah, what he's probably is really going to be too worried about that because he knows his ability. He knows yeah. he's a good guy. But I just think he's getting a little greedy with his money. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I wish he would just say $28 million, and then that would be the end of it. But if he wants upwards of $30, $35 million, I think that's a little bit excessive. People have been throwing around the 40. If you play, pay Dak Prescott $40 million per year to be your starting quarterback, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Like that's yeah. just a, yeah. a matter of fact. Unless he kicks into another, unless he could kick it into another gear that we haven't seen yet, he's not worth forty million dollars. Patrick Mahomes is worth forty million dollars. Maybe Deshaun Watson is worth forty million dollars. Dak Prescott is not worth forty million dollars. I mean, yeah, Dak does give you a lot. Like we said, he had a good year last year. He almost had five thousand yards. He runs the ball. He gets you 
athletic, he yeah. He's a season, which is good. He's mobile. He does a lot. He's, I think that it seems like the team, everybody likes him around the Cowboys. You don't really see any anybody calling for his He's a leader. He's definitely a good leader. He's a good leader. But I just think you paid Amari Cooper this much. You paid um, – you paid uh, – uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Can't believe that name slipped my mind. How could we ever forget about Zeke? You've paid yeah. Ezekiel Elliott all that money. You're going to pay Dak all that money. Sure, you have those three guys, but there's a salary cap. You're going to run out of room eventually, and then you're going to see those guys who are on that elite offensive line. They might start to walk. Well, I think the thing is, though, this is a huge year for him, and I think this is his prove-it year now because he lost Travis Frederick, his star center, the guy who I yeah. think made him look great, one of the guys who made him look great. So now I think we're going to see what he can do in a very open division, probably the least talented division in football. If he comes out and puts another eight and eight year where they're not in the playoffs, then no one on that team's getting any younger. He need he's not the guy. But if he could get you ten and six, eleven and five, then he deserves his contract. He deserves his thirty five million dollars, not forty. Though. Never forty. But I think to pay him, you have to be confident that he is the guy who can lead the Dallas Cowboys to a Super Bowl. And I'm not sold on that. I don't know if Dak Prescott can win a Super Bowl on this team. Well, that's why the franchise tag was the right move. They took the tag. So now you get to see a year of him play, one more year of evaluation. And if you're still unsure, then I guess that he's not the guy and he's not the guy worth $40 million. But what if he doesn't play under the franchise tag? I think I could see him holding out. Zeke just held out. The guy who shares the backfield with him, we know Dak thinks that he is uh, – he is worth this money and power to him for that. He should be going for the for as much bag as he can get. Uh, but I think there's a situation. The holding, I mean, holding out. It's interesting because we we've, we've seen the running back holdouts and they haven't worked out. Yeah. Obviously, Melvin Gordon and Le'Veon Bell ended up getting less money overall than if they would have played. Especially Melvin Gordon, that really backfired for him. But um, for the quarterback, we haven't really seen it recently where they a quarterback's held out. So is it something? That happen i don't think i don't think he's gonna um hold out because i think that he has a good enough relationship with the team that if that's what he was doing i feel like they would have picked up a cam newton and andy Mm -hmm. dalton and james winston or we would have heard about them maybe selecting jordan lovely in the first round Mm -hmm. so i just don't think i think he loves this team he wants to he wants to be a cowboy i think it's very clear so I don't think he's going to hold that. I think he's confident in himself. You saw the way he's grown as a quarterback last year with being his best year. Who knows? This year he comes out, throws for 35 and 8, and then he gets his contract. So we never really know. I just I don't see holding out as something realistic with him, and I don't think it would be smart for him, especially with all the other quarterbacks on the market. And it's interesting because you said to Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, a week later that situation still isn't is still unresolved. I would love to see the Cowboys pick up Jameis Winston. Put a little, little pressure yeah. on that. that might one of those guys, Cam Newton or Andy Dalton, could definitely apply a little bit of pressure on a cheap contract, one-year prove-it deal. Mm-hmm. It's it's obviously for Dak, it's going to be a big year. Whether he's on – if it's if he gets the contract prior to the season, it's going to be a big year because people are going to be judging him from the get-go, from the first week, from the first snap. And if he doesn't get it, the Cowboys are really going to be judging him on every play because they're going to be evaluating if this is really the guy that they want to pay that huge contract. It would really be bad for him, obviously. Maybe they're offering 33 this offseason. You want 35, and you go into next season and have a little bit of a clunker, and you end up in a tough situation. Yeah. So it's really going to be interesting to see how that plays out for uh, Dak and the Cowboys franchise. Yeah. but And they're definitely in win-now mode, though. So mm-hmm. I think that I really would not be opposed to them bringing in one of the three guys that we've talked about for con- I don't see why that's not being a more reported topic because he's a very big question mark right now. So I think they should bring another guy to light a fire under him, make him play out this year. Yeah, definitely something that they could consider, and I think it would be a good thing to consider. But um, that's all the time we're going to have for today. It was a great show. We enjoyed it. Thank you to uh, Nick Peloso, who's off now, but he uh, helped us for a great conversation on the draft. And we'll see you guys next week.